Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Let's take a listen to some Nashville history. WSMV, Nashville. Channel 4 News. This is the scene at 6 with Dan Miller, Demetria Kalodimos, Bill Hall, and Charlie McAlexander. Good evening. For the second time, a mistrial was declared in the case against Charles Raymer. This time it was a hung jury after three days of testimony. Raymer is charged. Now, you may recognize some of those voices. They were the very fabric of Nashville news for decades. Dan Miller and Demetria Kalodimos. Demetria is here today. Demetria Kalodimos, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the show. Welcome to This is Nashville. Oh, thank you, Khalil, and welcome to Nashville. It's been my pleasure to meet you finally because we've been talking about getting together since you arrived. Yes, I know. It's been two years. This is the longest game of appointment tag I've ever played. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But it's an honor, really an honor to speak with you today. Now, you know, you're really big shoes that I and other journalists have to feel. You're a Nashville favorite. You are a media advocate and an icon. How does it feel to be looked up to by so many people and journalists here in this town? A bit surreal. You know, that clip that you played, I could hear the youth in my voice. Hmm. You know, that's almost 40 years ago, that, that voice coming on the air. I knew I was coming into an important position at a relatively young age. And the folks that were sitting around me in the newsroom and the folks that I was meeting in the community always reminded me, you are at WSM. Mm-hmm. They were always hesitant to add the V because that was sort of a, a late addition when the station changed hands. But WSM meant so much to this community and to this region being one of the first television stations in the South. So it was a legacy station. Talk about big shoes to fill. Very few female pairs of shoes to fill, too. Mm-hmm. I was only the third female anchor at the stations at that point. Okay, so when you first got here, mm-hmm. what were your impressions of the town and of WSM? We'll hold the V off, you know, as a young young reporter. Well, I came from Chicago, so in terms of the city, I found Nashville to be quaint. Mm-hmm. I hate to say that, but, I mean, it seemed to me to be very manageable and kind of slow and easy, and let's face it, on the weekends in those days, downtown was completely shut down. Yeah, I remember my parents coming to visit going, where are all the people? <laughs> but at the same time, I thought, this is an extraordinary place, and it didn't take very long to realize that when I started to get the sense of community, mm-hmm. started going out to small town squares. I'd never seen a town square I didn't know what meet and three meant. I mean, I didn't have the vocabulary. And from my very name, it was obvious that I was an outsider. I don't need to tell you that. In yes. fact, when I was coming today, I thought to myself, okay, because Demetria Kalodimos came to this market, Khalil Ikelona can have his name on the air. Yes. Thank and you that's for no joke. that way. You know what? That is because that was an issue when I first got here. Mm. Well, talk to me about that. Whether I'm, I would be able to use my real name. At any point in time in your career, did someone kind of force you to use a different name, a oh, stage name, so to speak? Oh, yes. I had 30 minutes to change my name in my first television job. 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Tell me about that story. Uh, They just thought it was a mouthful and it was just too much. But the real ironic thing about it 
And this is God's truth. My co-anchor's name was Bruce Jakubowski, and the sports guy's name was Mark Shanowski. Okay. But I had to change Kaladimos. But you had to change Kaladimos. Yeah. So when you got here to Nashville at WSMV, was that an issue, or they just overlooked it? You know, it's funny. They tried to reserve my plane ticket as Demetria K. Oh. And I was like, that's not on my driver's license. It's this goofy stage name that they made me take. And the news director said, oh, so you don't want to go by that? I said, no, please. Do I have to? And he said, no, I'd, I'd love for you to use your real name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it goes way back because when my grandfather came to the United States and hit Ellis Island and they were Americanizing or shortening complicated Greek names, he said, no. He said, our name means good person, Kalo Demos. Mm. Why change that? No. So he resisted it, and I thought if it was good enough for Papu, it's good enough for me. It was definitely good enough for Nashville because everyone got to see that not only are you a good person, but you're a fantastic journalist and you mean so much. Well, thank you so much. But the, also the fun part is being able to hear the mispronunciations and to watch the misspellings through the years. Mm-hmm. You probably have a collection of mail like I do. Uh, yes, yeah. but I have to say, admittedly, on air, having someone with a very difficult name to pronounce, I have butchered some names myself. To anyone out there, I apologize. Guilty as charged, but you know what Spellcheck does to me, and I think this would be a great name for a rock band, Dementia Kaleidoscope. Ooh, that would be a good rock band. Isn't that a good band? Yeah, I could see like a multi-generational, maybe punk band. <laughs> but you know, these names of ours might be difficult, but they're memorable. It really became an asset in my broadcasting career. And you, you open the door for people like me, open the door for so many journalists. You said you were one of, what, there were two women there when you got there? I was only the third female anchor. Carol Marine was the first in the 70s. She was followed by a woman named Lonnie Lardner. And Lonnie only stayed for about five years, and then I replaced Lonnie. Mm. So at that point in time, the station had been up and running for quite a long time, 30-plus years. So think about it. Only three women sitting on that anchor desk in 30 years. When I first arrived, this is interesting, women were included in the early news, but not not the late news. In fact, when one of my co-anchors left and went to California, it was just assumed they brought in another man to do the 10 o'clock because no one would watch a woman by herself at 10. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. But now you look on cable news and there's women by themselves doing plenty. Of course. And even today, the wonderful general manager who told me that, you know, would say he was crazy for even speaking that out loud. Yeah. And so your presence helped not only a revolution in news broadcast, but an evolution. I think so. Of news broadcast, which as feels well. great. I mean, I'm not taking credit, but just looking back and seeing the changes as they came, I think, I think quite a few of us played a role in that. I mean, WSM is Nashville's very first station. Mm-hmm. It was around since 1950. Right. How did it get on the air? This was amazing, and I learned this only because when the station was turning 40 years old, that would be 1990. I said, we need to document this. This is a fascinating story. And I've always at heart been a documentarian. I've won, I love history and I love longer form storytelling. So I convinced the managers. I said, so many cool things have happened here. Let me put this together as a special. Hmm. So what we came up with was a special that we called 40 Years on Four. But the most interesting part of this was talking to the engineer who convinced the radio folk at that point in time, the WSM bigwigs who had 
been making money and making a name with the Grand Ole Opry. We need to get into this television thing. And they were like, ah, passing fad. No, I don't think it's <laughs> worth the money, et cetera, et cetera. And Jack DeWitt, brilliant engineer, said, I can do this. Now, I'm not really good with all the technical information, but I know that the closest place they could obtain the NBC signal that they would need to be an NBC affiliate was Louisville. Wow. So DeWitt and his guys had to figure out a way to build a series of towers to hopscotch a signal from Louisville into Nashville hmm. over the air. Remember, because there was no cable, there was no and you know yeah. fiber, all this stuff that we talk about today. You had to do it through the sky, through the air, and they did it. They signed on September thirtieth, nineteen fifty, which, by the way, is September thirtieth is the great Dan Miller's birthday. Okay. And I always thought there was some interesting synergy there. And the first thing they showed was, I believe, a Notre Dame football game. Okay which was, you know, had a lot of viewers, obviously, up north. But that was the first thing that came through. But when I was interviewing folks about that first moment the TV came, they had all been watching the test pattern for weeks. The people who had enough money to buy a set, yeah. and they were pretty expensive, mm -hmm. were fascinated and just glued to the test pattern. Yeah, and but here the bigwigs thought it was a passing fad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this ain't going to work. And then the rest is history. Now... The station has had some revolutionary programming. You know, we have Dolly Parton because mm -hmm. she was on the Porter Wagoner show, mm -hmm. which came out of Studio A on top of Knob Hill, exactly where we ended up doing the news. The Wilburn Brothers had a show. Uh, Flatt and Scruggs had a show. NBC regarded WSM as one of its pearls in its network. So I've seen old footage where Ed Sullivan is down here and other famous broadcasters are down sort of, you know, rubbing elbows with country music folks and other people. They were all there at the studio because it was an important place to be. Now, I heard that Ralph Emery had yeah. a show that was, I've heard it described as wild. <laughs> that may be an understatement. Ralph, and, and most of Nashville will remember this, had the wake-up show, you know, prior to the Today Show, the early morning wake-up show in Nashville. At one point in time, Khalil, it was the highest-rated television program in the nation. Wow. In excess of 50% of the sets that were on were tuned to the Emory Show. That is domination right there. And what were they watching, you might ask? Yeah. They were watching the very sort of slow, laconic Ralph and his wake-up crew. They had a live band, you know, sort of talk about not the news, the weather, fun things that happened. They had a couple of older ladies named Maud and Dorothy that used to dress up and sing awful singers okay. that they were. But <laughs> Ralph also broke a lot of important country acts. The Judds came on the Emory show, first known as the Soap Sisters. Okay. Because Naomi used to make talk about making homemade homemade lye soap out in the country. And Ralph picked up on that and nicknamed them the Soap Sisters. But boom, we know what happened there. Yeah. Uh Lori Morgan, uh, so many important singers came out of that, you know, willing to wake up at the crack of dawn mm -hmm. and come and sing their hearts out on this 
dopey little local show. Well, if, 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 well, if, if the show's getting 50 plus percent of viewers, you better get yourself up at the crack of dawn and go represent. Yeah, not not to mention the annual outhouse races. That's a whole other show for you. But they, they would team up and they would race around the building in outhouses with wheels on them. Wow. And this was a highlight of the year. I've got to see clips of this. Yeah, I, I kid you not. <laughs> now, my interest are peaked. You know, the show had wonderful programming like we just talked about and also, you know, great personalities on air. Oh, yeah. Yourself being one of them. But it's kind of an all-star roster. Pat Sajak, John Tesh, Robin Roberts, and local legend Dan Miller, along with Billy Hall, Ted Bart, and Carol Marine, who in 1977 had a very, very significant interview with then-Governor Ray Blanton about an inmate, Roger Humphreys. Demetria, we're going to play a clip, but can you set this next clip up for us? I've got to say, first of all, Carol is a friend and a mentor to this day. We never worked together, but mm. I had known and learned so much about her that when I finally met her, we formed a really close friendship. Carol, at the time, I'm going to say, was in her late 20s, a real serious reporter, as I mentioned, the first ever female anchor. And you would expect the male anchor to get this all-important interview, but Carol had been on this story. She had been digging, investigating. And uh, when she finally got the governor to agree to come on the air in a live interview, it would basically be the beginning of the end of the Blanton administration. Let's take a listen. We still go back to the question, Roger Humphreys may be proving himself now, but when he was released into minimum security, when he was given a great deal of freedom very shortly into his prison term behind the main wall, he had not done anything to prove himself necessarily. His file did not reflect photographic skill. And the question is, how was the decision made, and wasn't it made out of cronyism, perhaps, because there was very little other information? Cronyism. If you'll notice, the only people that have raised this outside of your station is Republicans. That's, that's politics. That's not cronyism. But you yourself say so you're engaged in I politics? I haven't sold a single pardon, a single parole, or none of my people have. I'm talking about selling a parole or a pardon. But Governor. look at the people that have jumped up and raised this issue. I know that your Mr. Kettering is from Louisiana. I know that he was there while my Commissioner of Corrections was there. What kind of vendetta that he has against one of the best commissioners there is in the state of Tennessee or in the nation, I don't know. But some of these days, he's going to have to answer to it because you are a license of the FCC. Are you threatening there's a license good government? question of whether you ought to have your license renewed or not because of your biased reporting under the guise of news and not having enough guts to come out and editorialize. Now, if you want to editorialize, why not do it? Governor, we're interviewing you, asking you the facts instead. Rather than opinion, we're asking our chief executive. Okay, I've seen this clip a few times. Two things come to me. Mm -hmm. One, Ray Blanton was a piece of work. Yeah. He really was. And people have to remember, Tennessee was a Democratic blue state. Mm -hmm. Blue was different then. It was perhaps a different shade of blue. But some of the same themes you hear echoed today yeah. come out in that interview. And we're talking, what, 40 plus years ago. The hostility yeah. toward the press. And Roger Humphreys was an inmate that, had, that the governor had sort of hand-selected to come be his personal photographer mm -hmm. out in the field, and who was, which, as you can imagine, you know, red flags all over the place. Yeah. What's this inmate doing? 
hanging out with the governor. And, and the particulars of the case, I don't want to get into it a little bit, but for reference for our audience members, Roger Humphreys was convicted of double murder of his estranged wife and her lover at the time and a very gruesome murder. And so it made, I think it made national news. This yeah, case. yeah. And you'll notice that the former governor there, Blanton, he's the one that brings up selling pardons and paroles, mm-hmm. uh, which I, if my history serves correctly, he was never convicted of that. But there was ample evidence that was what was happening under his leadership. As you watch the interview, you see Carol Marine, young, late 20s, big time, probably the biggest interview of her career at that point, I oh, imagine. Yeah. It catapulted her. She would later go on to be, well, a very longtime anchor in Chicago, incredibly influential. She did a stint on 60 Minutes at CBS. She's done great things since then. But I think she will agree, and I've, I've asked her about it many times. She said when it was over... Everyone was sort of numb and shaking Mm. because they knew what had happened, but they almost had to watch it again to really understand what had happened. It was a very strong moment. Yeah. And and the composure. Yeah. You know, she was unflappable. Totally. And she continued to press him. What did you learn from watching that? Well, it was interesting also, you know, they didn't have a zillion different cameras where they could take cutaways or, you know, get reaction shots. That means the entire body was seen, right? Mm -hmm. So you could see clenched fists, crossed legs, you know, the visible signs of nerves, you know, sweat on the brow. We know what that has done in television history, Richard Nixon and others. You know, I look at it and I think it was just an extraordinary and incredibly risky proposition. He speaks of Mike Kettnering, who is our our fearless leader and today is a Catholic priest down in New Orleans. Mm. But Mike was a newsman through and through. And at the time, he was the news director and would later go on to, to be the general manager of the station and quite a visionary. Really had this idea of what the power of television news long before anyone else was using it to address social issues. Mm. You know, really using TV news in a responsible way. Mike is the leader of the station. He's promoting this, uh, let's call it holistic view, Mm -hmm. an approach to reporting the news that's back then. Now we have a lot of individual stations have been eaten up. They're a part of huge media conglomerates these days that really impacts how our news is given. We have right now, currently in this studio, we've got two monitors on of the live 24-hour news cycle, which is very different from what you did. Very, very different. I was thinking this morning, you know, in those days, we had two newspapers in Nashville. You had the Tennessean in the morning. Banner came out about 2 p.m. And then the first broadcast news of the day was 6 o'clock. So if you think about it, if it hadn't happened early in the morning or if it hadn't broken prior to the banner going out, the 6 o'clock news was appointment viewing mm. because you were going to see something you hadn't heard about yet. Right. Because you didn't have a device. You didn't have 24 hour. You had WSM radio and some other radio news outlets that could keep you up to date. But it was really, really important what led the six o'clock news. And then, of course, when the six o'clock went off and WSM having the only hour long local broadcast, it was then what was going to happen at 10 o'clock. And again, there was no way to get an update in between. So if a key arrest had been made, if, if something else broke, you know, if, if, if they were going to s- emergency swear in a new governor, mm. as, as happened after Blanton, you had to wait to hear about that. 
and sit in front of the television because no VCRs. You know, if you weren't watching, you weren't seeing. So as a reporter, what did you all have to do to stay up on the information to get the news to deliver it at 6 and 10 p.m.? Well, of course, we had access to the wire services, you know, AP. And, and there were machines out in the hallway that spit this out on paper and okay. big rolls of paper. Like if someone was not there to, quote unquote, rip the wire, it would just pile up on the floor and you'd hear someone cursing out that, you know, they didn't have the most current wire ready for whoever was writing. Um, we, of course, had affiliation with the network, so you'd get information that way. But, you know, some things have never changed. It was still just sources. Mm. It was people who would call you with information, tips. Hey, something's happening in Williamson County. You better get down here. It was such a partnership. It wasn't just the people on the air who had sources. It was who was sitting at the desk, dispatching crews that knew who to call by first name mm -hmm. in every county. Certainly the news photographers had their, you know, cadre of people that they trusted. It was a lot of fun. It was competition like never before. Mm. There are certain nights that I will never forget that we had stories that no one knew about until we went on the air with them. Wow. And it was exhilarating. Do you think that, that that intense competition between stations kind of helped all of the journalists and local news affiliates raise their level of performance? I do. I do. And now, um, you know, just so many things have changed. The 24 hour and constantly having to feed the cycle has, has made big news out of small things. Yes. And um, it's also unfortunately led to more mistakes being made and corrected than perhaps ever before. Because we had a lot, lot more time to check our facts, you know, between the hours of six and 10 mm -hmm. or between the early morning and when we went on at six o'clock. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, it, it is what it is today. You're never going to go backward. But I think some of the things that were bedrock for us uh, back then, perhaps waiting before we went live until we had everything confirmed. I mean, a little bit of that might prove to be beneficial today. There you go. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll explore the career of 30-year WSMV Channel 4 journalist and 16-time Emmy winner, Demetria Kaladimos. We'll learn how TV news was done before the technological revolution of today. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. My guest is longtime award-winning journalist, Demetria Kaladimos. For 30 years, she worked as a reporter and anchor at WSMV Channel 4. She's gone on to teach journalism and audio at Lipscomb University and has her own documentary production company and is a part of the relaunch of the print paper, The Nashville Banner. Demetria Kaladimos, thanks again for being with us. Thank you so much. Okay, so I said in my intro, you are an award-winning journalist. You won 16 Emmys while the time you were with WSMV. Three decades. That's accomplishing a lot. You know, the, when I was reading this and thinking about it, I'm like, okay, so during this time, although they're very completely different categories, the actress Susan Lucci is constantly getting nominated but losing, <laughs> and you are winning and taking these awards away. As you reflect on those times and look back at the work that you've done, how does it feel to be recognized that way? 
Well, it's always just incredibly flattering and, and a, a feather in one's cap, you know, when you're recognized by peers. But when I look at those things today, you know, up on a dusty shelf, what I remember the most are the people I worked with. I remember folks like Pat Slattery. I hope he's out there listening. Fantastic mm. photojournalist Lyle Jackson, some of the other folks that that really brought the stories to life. I mean, we were foxhole buddies. You yeah. know, it was almost in some cases, you know, spending all night in a news car somewhere watching for things to happen. Traveling, Mr. Kettering was kind enough to if we had a story that would send us overseas, he was like, "All right, better be good enough, but buy the ticket." He saw the station as an important journalistic outlet for the entire region. What are your thoughts on the on the impact of having less individually owned stations, independently owned stations? Now there, there are all these conglomerates out there. When I worked in broadcast, it wasn't broadcast news, but I was a part of the Hubbard Network for the NBC affiliate out in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which was had they were all spotted all over the country. It kind of kept the station from having its own individual voice and really being able to connect with their audience in their town with their specific culture. There was kind of this collective voice that we were asked to bring. What are the impacts of that here in Nashville and beyond? Well, all of the Nashville stations are parts of large you know, groups now. The ownership is all from out of town. There is no local ownership. At WSM, we were blessed, you know, first the National Life and Accident Insurance Company and then a fellow named George Gillette bought the station. And he actually worked in the building with us. Huh. I'll never forget, I was working a Saturday once, and I saw this guy come in in these crazy Madras plaid shorts, you know, and a golf shirt. And I was like, whose dad is that? You know, wandering the hallway. And someone said, it's Gillette. That's the guy that owns the place. And, and I was terribly embarrassed. Thank God I didn't say, sir, can I help you? <laughs> um, but it was different when there was local ownership. It'll never go back to that, I'm sure. I mean, there are some places in the country where you still have a smaller group or whatever. But there was a, a sense that the ownership was part of the community, answerable to the community, mm -hmm. and reflective of the community. It was just a different time. And I think there was a different degree of Maybe what, why the station was there, not just as a money-making, ratings-generating machine, but as, you know, an important driver of public information and, in some cases, public opinion and public action. An absolutely true public service. True public service, yeah. You've served the public so well over many years. I'm just going to keep on saying well, that. Well, thank you. I'm excited. But, you know... So tell me, what are some of the stories that you've done that really, really stand out to you? You know, it's funny because I was listening when you first let in that um, old scene at six. That was the name of our newscast, by the way. The scene at Isn't six. Isn't that just groovy? It is groovy. The scene at six, the scene at 10. And when we changed that, we were really ticked, the mm. staff, because even though it sounds a little dated, I still have people saying, I miss you on the scene at six. Hey. I mean, the scene at six has that name has been gone since the 90s. But I'll never forget the first big thing that happened to me when Miller was on vacation. And here I am, you know, all of 25 years old or whatever. There was a gigantic day in Nashville history when it actually Tennessee history when all of the prisons were rioting almost simultaneously. Mm. 
there was a dispute over new uniforms, the ones with the stripes down the leg. And at least that was the, the, the reason given for this unrest. You had the main prison on fire with hostages taken. Then it rippled out to four or five other prisons. Guess who was the only anchor in the building that day wow. that had to handle the six o'clock? I still have a tape of it because it was I was so scared to death, put mm-hmm. it that way. But luckily I had, you know, we had a great crew behind us and, and great reporters that we could throw out to. But I, I can kind of see the nerves and the terror in my face. But I thought, this is it. You're in the big time. Now you're in the big chair. Yeah. You can't, you know, rely on anyone else. And that was, I believe, the beginning of July nineteen eighty five. Okay. And so that that stands out in my mind always. I can remember anchoring when the um, the Gander crash happened and the 200 plus four Campbell soldiers coming home for Christmas were killed mm. in that airline crash. I remember that vividly because it happened early in the morning. And of course, you know, when you're in the news business and something happens, I don't care if you're not due in till two or three or five or 10 o'clock that night. You know, everyone, all hands on deck. Yeah. I can remember when the Channel 4 crew was running all over the country chasing after dangerous prison escapees. Uh, These guys were on the loose and they were on a a crime spree everywhere and they thought they spotted them here, there and everywhere. And sort of a legendary duo of Channel 4 photographer and reporter, Jim Fulbright and Bob Bomar, were there when they caught these guys literally pulled him out of a cave. One had dyed his hair. You know, it was like a, a, a movie scene almost. Wow. And no one knew about it until Channel 4 came on that night at 6 o'clock with the video and with the story. That, you know, that you can't top that. No. That's That's got to be turned into a movie one of these days. What's one of the most challenging stories you ever The done? flood of 2010. Hmm. I barely got to the station and my old four-wheel drive Land Cruiser because the water was up to the top of my wheel wells. And there was a guy at the Whitebridge Road exit cutting people off saying, you can't go any any closer. And I said, I've got to be on the air. And he let me go through. And then I was on that desk and on the air, for, I believe, for the next 15 hours without a bathroom break. What? How? Did- yeah, <laughs> I don't know how. We never, took a, we never took a commercial break, you know? It was that... Serious, And it was that amazing because mm. some of the stories that spun out of that flood, good, bad, tragic, ugly. I mean, it was just a, a news event that we hope will never have to be duplicated. But I can remember, you know, watching the horses that everyone was worried about because they were neck deep in water in, in Bellevue. And we were seeing that from above in a helicopter. Uh, one woman barely got rescued out of her house before it exploded from natural gas. Mm. I mean, just one story upon the next were unfolding live on the air during that 2010 flood. Mm. And then the afterwards, the incredible response of the community got us national attention. I was on the NBC Evening News with Brian Williams uh, because he said, what's going on there in Nashville? You know, how can we help? And I basically had to tell him, listen, we have such a tight faith community and neighborhood community that we don't need bottled water and soap and toothbrushes. And all that stuff is taken care of Mm -hmm. because we're taking care of our own here. I said, 
you know, Nashville responds like no other place. And I think we we proved it to the world. And and I know that Brian Williams found that to be extraordinary. That is one of the events that people continually talk to me about when I ask about Nashville's history. They talk about the 2010 flood and how everyone did respond to it. Now, a name that we mentioned a lot briefly, but I want to learn more about your former partner, Dan Miller. He takes off. You have this big moment in the chair during the prison riots. Yeah. But you mentioned that he was a little bit, he was a mentor. Oh, completely. First, I will say, and I'll, I'll, I'll never waver from this, the best interviewer I have ever seen work in my life. He just had a way of bringing out whatever it was from the person sitting across from him. And folks will remember he had a late night, you know, dark studio interview show called Miller and Company where he'd just sit across and talk one-on-one, you know, everyone from Drew Smith, who was sort of a very colorful and crazy Capitol Hill reporter who was known for wearing feathers in her hair. Okay. To, you know, people as, as serious as Billy Graham and anyone that came into town, anyone who was, you know, who was anyone came in and sat down across from Dan. So interview-wise, I learned so much just from observing him. I think when I first came to town, I had... um well, I was a young kid, but I had an unsure, rapid-fire sort of news delivery, and he helped me slow it down a little bit. And as I listened to him, and as particularly watched the way he rewrote copy, mm-hmm. I had a total epiphany. I mean, in the style that I wrote, in the way that I delivered, in the way that, you know, my, the cadence and the way I enunciated on the air, I tried to be as effective as he was. And just by listening to him, I think I I became so much of a better communicator. He was funny as all get out. Okay. And towards the end there, we had such telepathy between each other Mm -hmm. that honestly, if I moved my pinky finger or he glanced in some weird way, by the time we got to a commercial break, he'd go, what? What? (laughs) We we knew that we were laughing or we were making note of something the other one did. And of course, towards the end, we decided that we needed a sign-off, kind of like your sign-off, which is wonderful. I'm glad you have a signature. Thank you. Neither one of us could you know, get up there and go, courage, or that's the way it was, or any of those things that are already taken. Mm-hmm. So long before COVID, we adopted the elbow bump. Ah. We'd bump elbows. That'd be the last thing people would see at the end of the 10 o'clock. Yeah. And people would say, why do you guys do that? What's the deal? What What's with the elbow bump? Why do you do that? And we're like, I'll have to take it to my grave. I, you know, you'll have to kill me before no I tell. Knows. You know, I, and I like that because what that shows is, you know, here you are delivering an hour's long, an hour's worth of very hard news, right? But you still are human beings. You still have your personalities. And that's showing the audience a little bit of your personality. And, you know, what you were talking about, how Dan taught you how to slow down your cadence, how to really be an effective communicator. Nowadays... When I watch broadcasts and listen to broadcasts, everyone sounds the same. There's no originality in their voice. They feel like I have to put on my broadcaster voice and do it this particular way. Right. I tell students, if you're adopting a voice, boy, the minute you get nervous out in the field, that's going to go away. Because mm-hmm. you cannot stay in character unless the character you're playing is you. That's another thing Dan taught me. You know, don't put on. Don't be something you're not. And I've met so many people through the years who are like, you're just like you are on TV. Well, thank you. Good. Mission accomplished, you know? Yes. What are some of the things that you've heard from people over the years about the impact of your your work? Well, you know, 
I'm and I'm hoping this never happens to anyone else that has a longtime broadcast partner. You know, my partner died suddenly, mm. and I don't think I've ever been through anything quite as gut wrenching and taxing as his death. Because when it happened, it was a weekday. You know, I had to be on the air. I had to figure out a way to go on that night. And I had to sort of channel what would Dan want this to look, feel, and sound like. Mm. And my coworkers would probably say that I was difficult as can be that day. You know, understandably, I was just in shock. But I was very, very, very particular about how we approached this. And one of the things that we did, and people still remember, one of the photographers, I said, let's just pan across his office. Okay, because it's closed now and all of his Jersey Mike napkins are there and all of his clutter. He was not a neat Nick. Okay. He was not organized. And his office said who he was. I mean, when you looked at his office, you knew something about Miller. Mm. What what was left? You know, what, what he left behind. I've had people say, boy, you know, I, I couldn't keep it together when I watched that that night. And I will say... You know, props to the management at that point in time. They closed the door, they locked it, and it was like that for a full year. Wow. No one went in, no one moved in, nothing was moved until Karen, his wife, came, and she and I sat one Saturday and packed up everything, kept everything. But, you know, we had lost an icon in this community. I think no one will disagree. Did you feel... Like, as you went along with your career, did you feel that you had this wonderful person who not only was a mentor to you, feels like became family? Oh, yeah. He was my big brother. I don't have a big brother. I have a younger brother who's wonderful and fantastic. But he really was a confidant kind of Mm. big brother who would slap me in line. I went through a difficult divorce at one point in time. And I think, I mean, he kept me going Mm -hmm. when I really was not in the mood to continue working. And I thought about just quitting we shared a temporary office during that time and he forced me to eat because i didn't have an appetite i was losing weight and i mean he would bring in you know banana pudding and milkshakes and all this kind of stuff forcing me to eat (laughs) you know those little memories come back you know if someone doesn't love you they don't do something like that for you did you take it upon yourself to be that for a younger reporter that you ran into i tried I really did, and I'm hoping that most of my colleagues, and particularly the younger women, will say that I was kind to them. My door was always open. I never shut my office door, partially because I'm nosy and I want to hear what's going on out there. But, you know, I really wanted to be that person that you could come in and talk to. Not that I had answers. It's just good to be that person that, that someone else can vent to. Or ask advice or ask, you know, see if they've made a mistake or if you've made a mistake. As we had fewer and fewer people stay a long time, it was harder to develop those relationships. Mm -hmm. Because, boy, in the early days, if someone left this market, like a TV person left to go somewhere else, all of the stations would have these mega parties at someone's house because it was so rare that someone would leave the Nashville market. Wow. And now... I mean, now it's a revolving door. Definitely, definitely a revolving door. All right, let's take one more quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with award-winning and veteran journalist, Demetria Kaladimos. You can join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. 
I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. From Nashville's Channel 4, WSMV, bringing you Dimitri Akalodimos and Jeff McAtee with the news, Rudy Kalis Sports, and Bill Hall's Weather on the channel for news. This is The Scene at 10. Good evening. This is the seventh night many of us have spent without lights, without heat, and without refrigeration. We aren't pioneers anymore, and the stress of the ordeal is building up. Jeff McAtee is out in West Nashville tonight, where some are still waiting for the voltage to come back. Jeff? That's right, Demetri. Now, this house, for example, is dark, and the houses right around me are also dark. What do you think as you hear that? (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you exactly what I think, because I was one of those people that had no power for 10 days. Okay. I was washing my hair at the station uh, and showering at the station. We had a nice storm, and it just knocked, knocked everything out. Something that jumped out of me, the channel for news. Mike was a brilliant manager in all regards, but when he decided that was our new slogan, everyone was like, eh. It just never worked. It never rolled off the tongue. Yeah. I see Channel 5 doing some very wise promotion right now about hope and community and feeling, you know, instead of bragging about machinery or whatever, they're trying to um, sort of convey a feel. Mm-hmm. Slogans are tough yeah. because you have to live up to them. And you have to commit. Yeah. Like you can't change them every couple of years. And that's one of the things when the group ownership and the consultancies came in, we were constantly reinventing who we were. And, you know, we should have stuck with Nashville's first WSMV. Yeah. You know, that would really work. Now, I I don't want to get too much into this today, but it relates to the conglomerates taking over. Your career ended on a I call and many call a sour note. Yeah. And, you know, you ended up settling with your station, you know, years later. Tell me about how you feel about taking a stand in that situation. I have absolutely no regrets. I felt strongly about what what happened. And I knew it was bigger than just me. That has proved to be true. I've had so many women come up to me who were in long careers in education and, you know, business and nonprofits, all all sorts of different endeavors and say, you know, something just like that happened to me. And thank you for at least opening some eyes to the fact that, you know, women of a certain age um, seem to have a shelf life. Ironically, when I first came to town in 84, the big national news was about Christine Kraft. She was a a news anchor in, I believe, Kansas City. She was only like in her late 30s or maybe early 40s, but she had been let go because, you know, there was a perception that she was getting too old or whatever. I came into this marketplace thinking, oh, that will never happen again. Hmm. And then, you know, lo and behold, that's the way the final chapter was written there. But, you know, six years hence, probably a great thing for me. Hmm. It's helped me sort of reevaluate. I'm now, you know, building and hope to launch. We will launch January 1st, the new nonprofit Nashville Manor, which is going to feature really good in-depth 
purely local, nonpartisan reporting, something I think is sorely needed. And the nonprofit model allows us to get away from ratings, competition, and you know expectations of shareholders and to be hopefully pretty fearless in our reporting. I, I expect nothing less from yeah. anything that has your name attached to it. You know, thinking about talking about the banner, it's new. What's the history of the paper? Well, the banner closed in the 90s. Most of that newsroom was absorbed by the Tennessean operation. And at one time they had like 180 people in their newsroom. I think that's down to 60. You know, people that know a little bit about the paper know that it's no longer physically printed here in, in the marketplace. It's it's printed in Knoxville. And I believe the circulation has gone from, and it, you know, forgive me if I get these numbers wrong, but something like 150,000 to like, you know, 20,000 people wow. getting the physical paper. Mm. I mean, the loss of resources in local news is undeniable. It's nationwide. There are places that simply don't have a news outlet at all. And we're hoping that we can go in and, and restore some of those resources, hopefully more depth and perhaps coverage of some issues that are undercovered or places that are underserved in today's news menu. Are, are you planning to have different beats out there? We're going to have some. Uh, we're certainly going to be covering the state house. Mm -hmm. We're going to be covering courts. No one's covering the courts anymore. No. A dedicated education reporter, metro government, you know, which you guys do such a great job of sort of bringing the, the drama to the people because there is incredible drama and, and really interesting stuff. If you go to a Metro Council meeting, you know, bring your popcorn. Yeah. That's a good show. They get things done, of course, and really important. But I love the way you guys are, are maybe turning on a whole new group of people to what's going on in their local government. Now, January, you're hoping to hit a bit, really big milestone with the banner, right? Yeah. We're hoping that our full launch will be a newsroom of 10 people. Okay. Which is pretty big. That's not bad. And you guys have kind of set the stage. I mean, the only growth in newsrooms in this marketplace has been here at WPLN, also a nonprofit. Yeah. I think that the public really shows that they appreciate yep. the, the service that we're providing. And we're going to be a membership model as well, kind of like you guys. So wonderful. We're borrowing. Let's say let's not say stealing from you. We're, we're borrowing some of your tactics. Hey, borrowing works. And I'm I'm about to propose maybe we can do some sort of recurring segment with the Nashville That'd banner be great. here we're, on This Is Nashville. We're going to be more about collaboration than competition. Yeah. Because after all, we're all serving the same public, right? That's right. That's right. Now. We mentioned this a little bit at the top of the show. Tell me about your passion as a documentary filmmaker. First of all, I love quirky characters. And all those years that I had to be on at 6 and 10, I mean, I couldn't go to Tibet to live with monks or, you know, some of these other grand things that, that documentary filmmakers are doing. So I thought Nashville is my universe. I'm going to have to do Nashville stories. My first big one was, was about the Prophet Omega, an obscure radio preacher here in Nashville. The Prophet Omega. Who became sort of a secret handshake between musicians worldwide. Mm. They listened to his, um, his sermons on tour buses. I had give, been given one of those tapes and I thought, is this guy real? I've got to figure this out. So that was in 2000. Presented that doc at the Nashville Film Festival. The second one I did was on um, uh, an infamous Nashville criminal uh, nicknamed the Foot Stomper, 
And he truly was. I mean, he had a compulsion for stomping women's feet. Wow. The great filmmaker John Waters actually wrote a character into one of his films who was a compulsive foot stomper. Okay. Inspired by George Mitchell. But in the newsroom, it was kind of a, you know, we'd, we'd cover every time this happened. And after a while, like... I sat there one day and said, hey, whatever happened to the foot stomper? I mean, where is he? What did he die? What happened? So that was film number two. I'm not going to tell you how it ends. <laughs> um, and then the third one I did um, was on two Nashville's first performance artists, let's say. Two women who had nominal talent, but a heck of a lot of nerve named Arizona Star and George. Okay. They were 1970s characters, and I mean characters with capital letters. And again, it was like, whatever happened to them? And don't ask me that question ever, whatever happened to, because I'll probably, you know, do a film about it down the line. So what are you curious about now? Who are the the peculiar people, the very interesting, enigmatic folks that have, you know, made a name for themselves or a slight name for themselves over the past 15 years that you're paying attention to that might be your next project? You know, I've got files full of characters and I'm also open. I mean, I don't know everyone and mm -hmm. everything that's going on. So if, if people out there listening know of someone that I may not have met who they think would make for a good documentary. Please, Genuine Human, that's my uh, production company, and, and we're into true stories about real people. Wonderful. Demetria, this has been so, so good. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. We got to do it again. We do. Promise we, me. I promise that we will make this happen, something that I've been personally waiting for for a very long time. You know, but before we go, what do you have to say to us? To me, journalist, new in Nashville, how can I do a better job of serving the people of Nashville and Middle Tennessee? Stay. Hmm. Okay? When the shiny object is waved in front of you, think about the people here and how much they appreciate and need what you're doing. I think staying has been one of my best decisions. I want to thank you so much for everything that you've done. My guest was Demetria Kaladimos, longtime journalist, award-winning journalist, documentary filmmaker. Now, we're, we're going to have your partner, Dan Miller, sign us off today. Oh, yes. Again, thank you so much for being here, and I really look forward to having you on again. And so we bring to a close another day of broadcasting. We hope you've enjoyed the programs presented today. Remember, we shall not relax in our efforts to bring you the finest in television entertainment. Realizing television's great responsibility to the family, Channel 4 is programmed to offer the top shows in television, so long as these shows reach our highest standards of good taste in family entertainment. So stay tuned to Channel 4 every day throughout the year. Good night, everyone. Demetria, before we go, can we get an elbow bump? Sure. Awesome. Bam, there we are. Again, thanks to my guest, Demetria Kaladimos, and thanks to you for tuning in this hour. This is Nashville is a production of Nashville Public Radio. Today's episode was produced and directed by Tasha A.F. Limley. Laura Boach is our technical director. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. You can listen back at This Is Nashville or wherever you get your podcasts. The conversation doesn't end here. You can always tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil A. Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.